1: Welcome to another episode of Rev Covery. I'm one of the co-hosts, Sarah Heath, and I am so excited to introduce to you another in our series that we're calling Stories from the Rev Recovery Room, which is really where we get to talk to the people who gather together as Patreon supporters in our Discord. And so we put a call out, said, hey, does anyone have a story that they would feel comfortable sharing? And I have to tell you, I'm going to read what Kai shared with us. So this is Kai Carcio I hope I said the last name right who was just a fantastic interview and I cannot wait for you to hear it but this was his response if you want to hear the story of a former UM ministry candidate UM seminary grad youth director trans man in Tennessee now in grad school again to be a clinical mental health counselor is still a little salty about church and is finding a surprising interest in grief work let me know well we let him know and he was a fantastic interview. So please, with no further ado, here's Kai. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Rev Covery. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sarah Heath, and this is the other co-host.
2: Uh, Justin Gentry.
1: Justin, your pause before that is only getting longer, not shorter.
2: <laughs> I, you know... <laughs> Sometimes I forget, or I don't know where I'm going, I't like, who my I name am is Justin but i and maybe that's it, Maybe I just need to be okay with it being I'm just Justin, and that's it, but I don't need to say anything else
1: <laughs> and this is a podcast aimed at folks who have either uh transitioned out of ministry or are thinking about transitioning out of ministry, maybe you were a volunteer or like just even changing careers. Justin and I are always surprised about. Uh, the folks who listen. So thank you so much for being a listener today. We are very excited because one of our favorite things about this is that we get to have a community of folks, our Patreon community on Discord, have incredible conversations. I don't think there hasn't been a time where Justin and I are like, they're better than us. Um, And so we get to interview for this series that we're doing people who are just people who are part of our Discord and who have had an experience within or without ministry that are incredible to share. So Today, I'd like to introduce you to Kai. And Kai, I found out, is in Tennessee. Um, So we're excited to welcome you from Tennessee. And you served, well, I'll let you tell your story. Kai, how long were you in ministry and in what function, if you don't mind sharing?
3: Are we counting working at summer camp?
1: 100, yes. In fact, those are two years. I'm just kidding. One summer is two years in summer Um, camp
3: years. Then I would say, gosh. 12 years. I started working at summer camp as a teenager. And I think that was where I first discovered like a calling to ministry is what I would have called it. Because I really loved working there. I loved working with the kids and serving and being in this like very tight-knit community.
1: I love that. And so after... You were in summer camp. What, like, what the call? Everyone describes the call. And it's so funny. His head literally went down, like, the call. Everyone's (laughs) afraid to say the word calling, I think, because we realize that when you're in public spaces and you're like, I had a calling, it sounds.
3: Yeah, it does. And I think I only use that language in spaces where I know people understand what it means.
1: For sure. So, how did you, you heard this calling, and then what was your response to that?
3: My calling was more just an urge. You know, um, not so much God saying do stuff, uh, but <laughs> me. Um, I don't care what it is, just um, <laughs> just do something. Good. I just want to do um, something. <laughs> yeah, it was more just me. I I'm such a helper of a person. I always want to help other people, and so I just kept wanting to find ways to do that. And I was also very passionate about my faith um, and the identity that I found in being a Christian, and so that. All just kind of tied together naturally into going into ministry. So I, after I finished college, I went straight into seminary, United Methodist Seminary, and oh. finished my MDiv. But there were some bumps in the road, such as learning in the process of being in seminary that I wasn't a hundred percent straight, and having that self-discovery within the context of the United Methodist Church this time was, it kind of blew a hole in my plans.
1: Yeah. 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 So you're in seminary, you kind of realize, wait, maybe I'm figuring out more stuff about myself. And that's interesting too. We've, we've had this conversation a couple of times with folks that say that they, they're almost (laughs) stunted when you're in the Christian community. We almost have like a stunted, not always, but we almost have like a stunted addressing of our own sexuality. Because it's like, don't pay attention to that. You should really pay attention to all this over here. Like your identity in Christ, like you said, was the thing, right? Mm -hmm. So figuring out your own sexuality was kind of a back burner issue.
3: Yes, you were right on about that. Um, Definitely grew up with purity culture teachings and beliefs. I was actually engaged when I started seminary to a man that I had met while I was in college uh, just kind of doing what was expected of me as a good southern girl would (laughs) yeah and ended up breaking that off because something just didn't feel right and I didn't necessarily have words for what it was but it didn't feel right and then it was a little it was several months after that that I kind of came out to myself as not straight
2: so
1: I love the language of coming out to myself people (laughs) often use that
2: That's really, which is a a hard thing to do when you're and and I want to pause for a second and just also say like good for you for calling something off because it didn't feel right I think there Mm. are a lot of folks you know either in ministry or or getting married or whatever that are like something doesn't feel right but it's probably me and it's not anything big deal so I'm just gonna ignore it and we're gonna move forward because this is the right thing to do and you know that's Definitely something to pay attention to. And I just wanted to call that out for a second.
1: Yeah, it's super brave, especially because there is that language or story around cold feet, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is just cold feet. I remember
3: Google searching, how much doubt is too much doubt, like before (laughs) a wedding.
1: (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) It wasn't the chat GPT yet to tell you. No. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And that just must have been a lot of conflict. Quick PSA,
2: chat GPT is not relationship advice. (laughs) No, it will not give you
1: therapy. Mm -mm. Have I used it to form emails? Yes. Did I use it this week to say this is wasting my time? And it came out. This is not a good allocation of my time. And I sounded much more professional. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Which is not something you should have said to your fiance. So thanks for doing that. (laughs) This is not a good allocation Hmm. of my time. (laughs) I gotta go. (laughs) I think we, you know, it's interesting too, because we have the gift of having friends who are within the queer community who talk openly and often about, they, especially within the Christian community, like our friend Trey got married because that was the pressure. uh, He kept thinking, it can't be me. Can't be me. You know, or it must be me. It must be me. It can't be the situation. I don't want to be the thing I think I might be. And he, his biggest regret is harming his wife, who was his best friend, right? So like the best friend narrative is easy to get confused right and especially if we're told we're not supposed to have sexual feelings so it's like oh i don't have sexual feelings for them but like that's okay because that will come on the wedding night it will never (laughs) that will never just show up friends i like i i've been i was a pastor for many years nobody told me it they just showed up i think those we weren't
2: attracted to each other and then the wedding night came and suddenly it just worked like no that does not happen like magic
1: (laughs) <laughs> no, no, never once, guys. I've married a lot of couples, never once. So you make that discovery, you make a hard decision. How did your family react to the, I'm guessing you didn't r- share the reason necessarily. Cause did you know the reason yet?
3: I did not. I just knew something didn't feel right. Um, I knew that I loved him very much, but not the way that I should as a future mm. spouse.
1: Oh gosh, that's so hard. Yeah. yeah. And how did your family react to the, This is a
3: my mom was relieved. Um, oh, she mm. hadn't, you know, she hadn't told me because I would do the stubborn young person thing of like, I'm doing it anyway. But uh, she hadn't really felt like the relationship was right for me either. But she knew I needed to figure it out. But she was very relieved when I called it off. So,
1: oh, yeah. Yeah, Justin, I always think about how that's going to be the hardest part of parenting. Like, Cause your mm-hmm. kids are just at the age now where you've got to start letting them make mistakes. Oh, well, I
0: mean, yeah. you mean?
2: they're not, they're not making mistakes like romantically, but like there are definitely friends they have that I'm like, do uh, you want them over again? Okay. <laughs> 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 what about this oh, other kid? Nice like, you- have you, have you hung out with them? Yeah. <laughs> they seem well-mannered. I, mean, I
1: think it's hard or like, even when they're doing their homework or, doing Like the hard part, I think, is the painful part about being a parent. I would think, says the person who has a dog. Yeah. But, but like, <laughs> well, I you've got to let, let him make you've mistakes. Let,
2: you got to let Tenor make mistakes, you know, in his youth. Mm,
1: today, he tried to eat his own poop, so I don't know that he's got great decision making.
2: You know, strategies. That's, that's
1: <laughs> So, how did the coming out process, if you don't mind sharing? work for you within, because you're, what, if you don't mind sharing, what seminary were you at? Because some would be like, okay. And some would be like, not okay.
3: I was at Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, okay. DC, which has a reputation for being one of the more progressive ones Yeah, um, in the United Methodist Church. And so I actually made friends with uh, several queer people while I was there in seminary. And I think just knowing them helped something turn over in my head to make me realize this was a possibility for me too Mm. and the first time i came out was because i've come out twice once as not straight and twice and second as a trans person and so the first time i came out was really scary i sat on it for six months and just kind of mentally and emotionally suffered because i was in it i was um getting my uh, and. I knew the United Methodist polity around ordaining (laughs) self-avowed practicing homosexuals.
1: To which my friend Kevin Garcia always says, honey, I'm not practicing. I'm a professional.
3: Right. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only way to respond, honestly. Yeah. So it just, I knew that like the, the career I was working towards was now, it wasn't, may not work out the way I had wanted it to if I came out. And so it was more for me a choice between like the inner piece and the outer turmoil of like mm. being openly queer or the outer piece of having things work for me, but the inner turmoil of
1: not having come out. Ugh, sitting on this like secret. I can't imagine those six months, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine figuring out you wanted to break up with your best friend or someone that you just loved. Um mm-hmm. I can't imagine that and then to also sit on this am I am I not and I already love the community I have several friends within the community mm-hmm. um but if it's me it holds such weight it does
3: and oh. it it was never a matter of hating myself thankfully or um being against that myself I fortunately had weirdo progressive parents in Tennessee And so they were giving me like human rights campaign equal sign stickers when I was a kid. And they were like, here, stick this on your guitar case or whatever. And so I did. And so I never really had those negative feelings um, taught to me. They were around me in my environment at school and like other youth groups that I would visit because I was that kid who would go to extra youth group.
1: Um, Oh, you went to extra, you got extra credit. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs)
3: Yeah. You (laughs) double-dipped youth group. Du- I at looked. least doubled it, yeah.
1: So that process of coming out to your family was all right, but it was the church, right? That pays me to say, guys, it was the church—the place you should go to be able to embody yourself—that you knew was going to, or possibly reject you. Now, because you were at Wesley, I'm imagining there were some queer folks who were going to be able to be ordained. But were you—you you were part of the Tennessee conference, right?
3: Yes. At the time, it was Holston. Okay. Now it has a new name.
1: No, it's still yeah. Holston. They just I think it's still that. Holston. Well, and Justin and I interviewed Anna, mm-hmm. who lost her position just for being queer affirming. So I cannot imagine, well, doing a queer wedding is what the church policy would want us to say. Yeah, that fear of knowing you almost can't go home. So you've got another tough choice, right? Like if I want to be ordained, it can't be in the place that I call home.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to go back home to Tennessee and it was strange because that's ultimately what I chose to do after seminary. And I got a job in youth ministry instead. And at the mm-hmm. same time, this uh, couple I had known, these was two women who fell in love like at seminary and got married after. It was adorable. Became co-pastors at a church in California. Oh. And so just that stark contrast between my situation and their situation was so strange.
2: Because the United as they're
3: well. Yes, they're United Methodist. Out of United yeah. Methodist Church together as pastors, just being Ooh.
2: gay.
1: Um, just, being, just over just, there being gay. Yep. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> that's all being, they do all day long.
2: Being Living gay the gay selves, agenda. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I, and, that is what I find so fascinating about the United Methodist Church. I, because like the church that I came, the denomination I came out of, the uh, um, Wesleyan Church, in a lot of ways has the exact same like rules as far as the discipline goes, but, uh, or like stance, but the way it's enforced is different. <laughs> the enforcement structure is different. And so like, yeah, the entire church is like, no, no, no queer people at all. Please leave. We don't want to deal with you. Whereas the United Methodist church is like, if you're in the right spot, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> it, it's um, and that's gotta strange. be, it's gotta be very confusing as well as, you know, it, it, it's, Talk about church clarity, like I, I, wherever I end up, my geological, geographical location determines whether or not my church will completely affirm and celebrate me and platform me, even um, versus like showing you the door within the same denomination. That's I've just always found that interesting.
1: It's insane. I
2: don't know how that works.
1: Yeah, I don't. don't It doesn't work. At least in my story, I'm sure it gets weirder. weirder. (laughs) Keep telling us your story because,
3: (laughs) yeah. After well, after I finished seminary, I I had already kind of started a faith deconstruction. I mean, given the coming Mm. out and learning some new progressive ways to think about God, I hadn't been allowed to before, such as, you know, conceptualizing God as potentially feminine. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> terrible mm. uh and so just kind of like the anger i felt i remember my first year of seminary when i was like a little 23 year old and learned for the first time i was allowed to think of of god as like feminine or change up god's pronouns that was the first time i encountered that and i remember just feeling angry that i hadn't been allowed to do that before
1: oh uh, that yeah I'd like you missed out that, that
3: wasn't right yeah. Uh, yeah and so i think that was kind of the very, very beginnings of the religious you know, deconstruction and questioning. And then coming out, obviously piled on top of that um, and trying to reassess my career. And I also wasn't totally sure I wanted to be a pastor when I went to seminary. I mostly just wanted to learn more because I cared so much about my faith, except that seminary is very good at making pastors
1: yeah that's kind of their job. Well, or professors <laughs> who secretly like or pastors who secretly want to be professors or professors uh-huh. who secretly want to be pastors, that's about it.
3: Uh-huh. It's like grad school in general, I think
1: yeah, so your <laughs> your experience of like, okay, maybe I don't want to be a pastor, but and then I'm kind of formed into being a pastor, all while going through all of the things you just mentioned, which are so big. Uh, you get out and you decide to go into youth ministry. Yes. I
3: spent a year working retail at a greenhouse first, um, watering plants and taking oh. a little bit of a break. And then that job didn't turn out as well as I wanted just because of the work environment. It wasn't good. Um, And so I quit that job and said, you know what? I can still do youth ministry, even if I can't get ordained. And so I got a job at a church that was, Pretty well known for being welcoming. They weren't reconciling, but there's also had only been like a few reconciling churches in the Holston Conference up to that point. But I got a job there as the youth director. They knew who I was or what I was when they hired me, and I worked there for three years. And were you
1: trans at that point? Like, you, had you well, made that? I mean, obviously, you were trans then, But had you made that um, declaration, had you s- said that before you were hired there?
3: I had not.
2: I didn't know yet. While you're answering that question, can you also explain what a reconciling church is for those? Oh, you yeah. Sorry.
1: Versus, yeah. So- yeah. <laughs> Kai and I have uh, some language that we should probably help yeah. people understand.
2: As the non-UMC <laughs> person, I was like, I think there might be people that don't know what that means. All right. mm for
3: a long time there's been another like organization within the United Methodist Church called reconciling Ministries and those are groups of people whether it's an entire church community or just a Sunday school class who basically announce themselves and join this reconciling ministry community as being um, open and welcoming and affirming for LGBTq people
1: yeah it's a way of like taking a stance and it it you actually have to go as a pastor to you have to like run people through sort of the process of becoming reconciling. It's something you can do pretty easy for yourself, but if you are going to have your church declare it as reconciling, then there's a process that you have to go through.
3: Yeah, there's like voting and everything that happens.
1: Yeah. Uh, I've had friends actually start the process and then the church reject the idea and then they have to kind of leave their church that they're at in some ways, you know, cuz obviously we don't see things equally. <laughs> So you were not out as mm-hmm. a trans man.
3: That was not a realization I had had about myself yet.
1: Wow. Mm, okay.
3: I, yeah. These things took time for me. Because I, I spent so much time serving others and not thinking right. about myself uh, that I didn't realize I wasn't doing that level of introspection.
1: Yeah. Which is really interesting. We'll talk about it later. But now that you've got into becoming someone who works in the mental health field. It's almost like you want to help other folks be able to have that space to do the thing that you weren't able to do, so how did it go if you don't mind sharing coming out in that way were you Were you working on staff by the time you did?
3: I was not It was six months after I had quit my youth ministry job that i it kind of hit me in the face like a brick um <laughs> but while I was there working at the church, I and mean, there were Definitely ways I felt unsettled. I did kind of come out as non binary, agender. And for me, personally, part of like that was part of my journey of knowing I didn't exactly feel like a woman, but Mm. definitely not wanting to accept I was a man because men, ew. And (laughs) it's
2: fair. totally
3: fair. I
1: never thought of that. That if you. Like, I've never thought yeah. of that. <laughs> I mean, Justin, you guys always joke around about, like, why would anyone date a man? But if I, you... I, I do. I say, why are men all the time? Just why are men?
2: <laughs> like, Just
1: why the concept in itself.
2: Why? Why Why? why are we the way we are?
1: All right. And so the concept of that, and then to know that you yourself feel like that's your embodiment, but... You're not sure how you feel about men as, wow, I've never thought of that. Yeah,
0: like
3: if I tend to be annoyed by men's existence, I'm not gonna be one, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a
2: common <laughs> yeah. trait of being a man. Just <laughs> <FYI>.
1: <laughs> Yeah, congratulations, you actually are. you fit right in. you're
3: difficult. Hooray! So gender affirming. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh, but I guess I can talk some about my work as the youth director. Um, Yeah, if you don't mind. The things that I loved the most, my favorite parts of that job, were kind of the counseling-ish parts. Um, My pastoral care and counseling classes were my favorite ones that I took in seminary. I'd had an interest in psych for a long time. I'd minored in it in college. And so like this mental health field was always creeping around and keeping my interest, but I was also in the church and very passionate about my faith. And so I put that first, but those one-on-ones with kids where I would, I had a couple of kids come and talk to me about wondering if like they were queer in some way because they knew I was safe to talk to. Oh, what
1: a sacred place to be. And I, yeah, I also think in some ways where um, we've talked about this many times and I, I just, it, it keeps coming up in my own life. When you have a skill or a passion around something, oftentimes when you grow up in a church environment and if you're like you and I, where we just have to go to every youth group in camp, you can imagine, we think that the thing, well, it means then we need to use that towards, um, and I'm gonna use very kingdom work, right? So it couldn't possibly be that, I just need to, like, this is the thing I'm passionate about. I got to figure out how to fit that in. And, and I, you know, I, I often talk about, like, I love to act. And so I think for me, in some ways, being able to, you know, do uh, sermons and things like that. Now, again, it doesn't, I, it was a, how do I say that? I, I believed everything I was doing. I wasn't acting, but I was using skills that are aligned with acting, if that makes sense. So it makes sense to me that you're doing something that you're passionate about, but you're trying to figure out how to fit it into the, into the work of the church.
3: hmm I think that's what I was doing. I think because of the church being very welcoming, I was, there was also um, the, like, music director was openly gay. The organist
1: was openly gay. I'm not sure there's an organist who isn't gay. Okay, um, you've heard the thing that there's only, if the United, this is a very insider joke, Justin, but if mm-hmm. the United Methodist Church splits, okay. there's going to be, two things one with a good choir and one without <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because so many of our I, uh organists yeah. are gay and I don't know what that is but there it is <laughs>
3: <laughs> me neither anyways yeah so it was a safe environment um for a long time I did alienate a couple of youth from more conservative families by being mm. so radically welcoming to queer youth Mm. And that came back to bite me at the end of my time there, pretty big time, but I I always kind of felt like I was being a bit of a troublemaker. I would set up name tags and ask kids to tell their pronouns when they introduce themselves. And I I included my own coming out as part of my faith story because it, it was uh, right. at the time and Mm -hmm. so it was very open very welcoming Um, started to really build up a good healthy youth group that was growing and then COVID happened (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and just yeah kind of decimated everything I'd been building so hard for like a year and a half and so my second year and a half I spent at the church a solid year was kind of spent switching jobs I had two jobs at this church by the way I was oh, also doing graphic design for sermon your- series and church events, and running the social media. Oh, oh, um, <laughs> obviously,
1: course. yes. I was going to ask what you were to doing job, with your extra time.
3: Actually, yeah, no. <laughs> they were like the only way we can hire you full time is if you have two jobs
1: that <laughs> like are so both full time. Youth ministry is. Yeah. <laughs> Duke ministry
2: yeah. is it's it's classically <laughs> not a job that takes up a lot of your time. People just
1: don't, I don't think people understand what it takes to build a healthy youth group in the same way that I don't think people understand what it takes to build a social media following. Like, yeah, I, I have this conversation, even in the corporate world that I'm a part of at this point is like, you do understand, like making those videos takes our social media director, who also is our brand manager and also our marketing person. Like, that doesn't just like happen, but they seem to think it just happens. So you had a job that was Two things that people just seem to think happen, like, oh no, kids just no. It takes investing in these kids. It takes one-on-one stuff, and it's for incredibly sure. hard to do during the pandemic. Like, it takes have, going to a
3: five-hour high school production of Annie.
1: Oh, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Things I like that. that. One. <laughs> if, if you Except haven't seen bad theater, you're plays. not a good youth pastor. <laughs> it's true.
3: Yeah, you know, so, so many yeah. games at band concerts, and
2: oh. there was one high school Please. play I sat through where they like, and like you wanted to be proud for them the whole time, like the entire time you are like, I want to yeah. be proud of you because they took Alice in Wonderland, I think. Oh no, I, I don't remember anymore. And they like kind of a, they did their own adaptation of it, and they wrote their own scripts and everything. You are like, I want to be proud of you. I want to enjoy this. I want when I when I see you at the end of this to say you did a good job and mean it. But like
1: it was rough. It was so rough. I mean, and yeah. And the way you have to be like, I'm this you were there and I am so glad you were there. Like, it's so hard to come up with like, you know, and you you just sit through it. Yep. Five hours of Annie. I didn't even know Annie was that long. Mm -hmm. I don't think it is.
2: Yeah, that's that's a long time for Annie. I, I think don't they know added how her. it
1: happened. Was she like forty-five <laughs> by the end of the story? It starts with little orphan Annie and turns into like older corporate Annie.
2: Yeah. Act act one is the story just, of Annie as you know it. And then
3: <laughs> I remember very, you know, trying to be sneaky about checking my phone to see what time it is and thinking, holy fuck. Oh <laughs> I think it's yeah. going on forever. This play yeah. started at one PM and it's It's 5 o'clock
1: and I'm still here. Oh, my gosh. And I'm hungry. And I'm angry. (laughs) Guys, I really... Can we we also... Can we talk about one more thing? Can we talk about graduations? (laughs) Can we talk about... Mm. You're sitting through other people's graduations. And you love that kid. Mm. You love that kid. But, my gosh. Sitting through four or five graduations a year. If... I mean... That alone deserves full-time credit. I
2: will say I did stop (laughs) going to them at a certain point. I did stop going to the graduations because they were just so, maybe I'm a bad youth pastor, but no. After a while, I was like, I can't. I'll go to your graduation party. I'll be there the whole whole time. I'll help you set up. I'll help you tear down. Just don't make me sit (laughs) through 500 of people I don't care about to get to you. (laughs) To go woo, Um, yeah,
3: for one kid you do. To go woo
2: (laughs) one time, yeah actually near the end of youth ministry because we had i had so many kids that like wanted me to come to stuff i actually had like a like i made like a card stock kind of card that i would give to kids to be like write down the dates of the thing you really want me to come to give me like three or four of them and i'll try to come to one of them because i would get so many like random like hey can you come to my basketball game tomorrow i'm like Mm -hmm. uh I have a life outside of you. I'm sorry. So I started to like kind of like basically schedule out like, okay, I've got this person's basketball game and this person's play and this person's da. da, da, da. And it was, it's still nuts, but like you do it cause you love these kids. And sometimes you're the only one there. That's the sad part when you're like, where's, where, are you, where are your people? Like, I'm well, you realize person? you are their like, people and I think and you that's feel honored, means, but you're also like, yeah,
1: wow. It makes yeah. leaving it really hard. And yeah. and also because all three of us have the experience of being queer affirming clergy or not clergy however you want to call it pastors youth pastors it feels like we're protecting and so like it's not a savior complex but there really is if i'm not here what happens
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know mm-hmm. if if this kid says these things that they're saying and i just want to say like i think it's so rad how you created space that you later would need. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a big theme I'm seeing where you are like, look, everyone tell me your pronouns because I don't really know mine yet. But like, you know, what I, mean? yeah. like, I feel like, OK, I'm going to love the queer people because I don't know that I'm queer yet. I just feel yeah. like you are just sort of <laughs> ahead of yourself a little bit. And that's really I, mm-hmm. I think it's a really beautiful thing. And yeah. I'm so excited that you have come into yourself now. And I hope that you're making space for yourself, but I would love to hear if you're willing to share kind of how this, how this work ended, because you kind of alluded to, it didn't go, it didn't go well.
3: It didn't. So after a year of COVID and the church being closed and me running cameras to record or live stream services and doing youth group over Zoom, or sometimes in the front yard of the church, when that was acceptable. I... Was definitely burned out and tired Mm -hmm. because I didn't, you know, I didn't have that face-to-face contact. A lot of people were feeling burnout and tired after a year of things being shut down and closed and not seeing people. And so COVID itself was hard and it also had, you know, taken apart the youth ministry I'd been working on so hard. Mm -hmm. And so that was frustrating on its own. And I still continued on with my radical acceptance and affirmation of queer kids in the youth group. And so once everything was kind of opening up again, I think I just mentally hadn't caught up or emotionally. I was still kind of ravaged by the pandemic and the burnout and everything. And so I didn't have the level of enthusiasm I'd had before.
1: And uh, no yeah, one did about yeah. anything. Yeah, I
2: think the most common thing we hear is, is then COVID or then Trump, one of the two. Like, that's yeah, it's either sure. then
1: COVID or then Trump.
2: Yeah, that's the common theme in the testimonies that we hear of people. So you're, yeah, <laughs>
3: COVID accelerated a lot of processes.
2: <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah.
3: yeah. So my, my lack of enthusiasm combined with my, Queerness as a youth director, like unapologetically, definitely frustrated some of the people in the church community because it wasn't 100% affirming as a community. And then I was also kind of deconstructing on my own. I had started kind of exploring that world and realizing my faith was changing and I didn't know what it was becoming or if it was becoming anything. And so as a youth director, I also felt that imposter syndrome. Of, like, what am I supposed to be teaching these kids if I don't believe it? How am I going to be authentic when I value being authentic? So I just wasn't in a good headspace. And that kind of created an avenue for me to get a talking to from staff parish.
1: And our staff. the committee. Yeah. To be clear, we're going to do a Methodist pause. It was exactly. (laughs) It's the committee that takes, like, that's your HR between the church and, yeah, it's just your HR. Essentially, it's an HR committee. Yeah. So you and got a stern talking to. Pretty be less gay and more enthusiastic. I would
3: say so. It was well. It was a meeting. <laughs> yeah, less gay and more enthusiastic. That's pretty much the summary of it. <laughs> it was kind of horrid. Potentially, it was traumatizing, even, but mm. and unethical. So each member of staff gets their own staff parish, like representative, basically. Mm-hmm. And so I was supposed to have my representative there, but the only person that came was the chair. (sighs) And so it was a one-on-one meeting. And I was told it was going to be about my goals for youth ministry, but they showed up with a list of things to complain to me about, about how I had been doing the job. And uh, some of the things I remember the most, one was you need to act enthusiastic, even if you don't feel enthusiastic, which is just goes opposite to my valuing authenticity and honesty. And then the other part was uh stop asking the kids for their pronouns. It's making people uncomfortable. And it's okay that you're gay, but you don't need to tell the kids. Oh. Yeah. So after 3 years of me do- running this ministry, doing pretty great at it. Considering I had an MDiv and was doing youth ministry, and people generally don't consider youth ministry to be MDiv level work. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it just hurt a lot. And I was already burnt out and I was starting to deconstruct. And so I just turned in my resignation and was done.
1: Mm. Right after that meeting, that meeting was it.
3: The day after that meeting, I turned in my resignation. I gave them very generous four weeks' notice and suffered for four more weeks just because I wanted things to transition smoothly because I genuinely cared about the kids and the youth ministry. But yeah, that was really, really hard. And so I I realized looking back, especially now that I've been earning an, a master of science in clinical mental health counseling for a year now, that what I was experiencing was grief because mm. I had three losses piled on top of each other. My faith, I had kind of lost to that. I had lost my career and i'd lost my community kind of just all in a the span
1: of a month yeah yeah that's huge that's huge i think it's a reality for everyone in some way that grief is part of this and i think we more and more realize that yeah we don't talk about it right so with that I'm excited to come back and hear more about your story and where it headed because it headed to great places and encouraging places, I think. So let us take a brief break and we'll take a hear from our commercial sponsors and then we'll come on back.
0: You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.
1: All right, let's come back for the commercial break. And I want to hear a little bit more about, so you, you turned your resignation in, which I think is such a cool power move. Like you're like, I'm figuring out who I am. I'm, I'm not this. Were you going toward anything? Did you have any plans?
3: I knew at that point I wanted to go into mental health counseling, and okay. I wanted to apply. But the program I wanted to be in at this school that I wanted to go to, UT, woo, be a I had they
1: make ugh, demand that you do that, huh?
3: I missed the deadline
1: okay. for that year,
3: <laughs> and so I had to wait until the next spring before I could apply and get accepted. Um, But I was telling everyone, I didn't, you know, I didn't actually share the truth of what happened with the people at the church. I was just like, I'm pursuing a career change or I'm being called in a different direction. Um, Yeah. And so that added to the pain of it to feel like I couldn't necessarily be honest about what had happened and how I'd been hurt.
1: I I think that is uh, a common. It's a weird career thing because uh, oftentimes the people in your life are also... Integrated into it. And within the Methodist Church, I will say that one of the most unhealthy parts of it is that there's so much secrecy. I know I'm going to be moved before I can tell my church I'm going to be moved. It's all the stuff that, like, is so different than um, the, yes, obviously, when you're doing a career change, you know, like when you give two weeks' notice, it's not necessarily something that you share with everyone, but it's just such a weird, there's so much secrecy, um, I guess is what I would say, that is. not present in other things
2: i felt that when i was in i was at a united methodist church for like a year and then i just couldn't do it and and they couldn't with me either but it was a very (laughs) like i remember walking i but i remember like feeling like there was a weird distance between pastoral staff and the congregation in that like you've only been here Mm -hmm. six months like we don't know we're just not even going to try to get to know you. And like, I mean, people would be nice. It wasn't like because you mean. could be gone. But yeah. yeah, I did feel that very like. You're in a trial period and then we might care about you later. And I don't know that I've experienced that at any other kind of church. I maybe mean, it was unique to that church, but it, it is a very interesting like. Yeah, you could be moved anytime, whatever. You know, we'll get to know you maybe.
1: And it's so fascinating if you're if you're someone who is, like, you, you've got a lot of pain around identity in some ways, right? And so not being able to be honest about what really happened is almost like a, a stealing of identity, if that makes sense. Like, you can't be yourself even in that moment. And even though you are a caregiver of other people and you wouldn't have wanted to, like, shame folks, I think there is something about having to hold the story for both people, for yourself and for them as well. And it's just painful. And I, you know, the number of times in our discord, I've heard someone be like, oh, yeah, I I just told them I was going on to another career and then would change the subject, hoping they wouldn't ask me what the career was. (laughs) Just another one. Just (laughs) one that is not this. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else. (laughs) Yeah, I am going to be working for anyone else. (laughs) Yeah. So after that process, you, you you did get into school and you dealt with figuring out the deconstruction piece. Like how would you say, like, if you don't mind sharing kind of like where you are now and how you got to where you are now? Cause it's a pretty neat, like neat do people say the word neat, guys? I don't know. It's a pretty I, special, I think. I'm fine with neat. Within. I think people don't yeah, I like neat. I think people what I mean by special is I think your story is really important to the story of recovery because not everyone figures it out as quickly as you did what the next step was. So I would love to hear a little bit more about that. Like, how did you hold on to hope that you would get in the next semester? Um, or was it easier to do some grief work, not having to worry about that? And then did you, what did you do for finances? That's like a 16 level question, but go ahead and share what you want to out of all of that. <laughs> I. Well, my
3: church career job was the first job I'd ever had where I had a salary and benefits. And so walking back out of that was a shock to my existence as a person. And I didn't... I think it was because of the grief, but I had such a struggle just keeping a random job. Like an odd job. I Mm. mostly have made money helping my mom like organize stuff at home she had retired from being a teacher and so she had so much just so much stuff to go through um and so i was helping her with that kind of as an odd job is a way of like letting my parents give me money but at least i somehow earn it um, right <laughs> so i don't feel completely like a giant child um and i also Worked a couple of odd jobs. I worked in a factory for three weeks. That was all I could take. Factory workers are some strong people. I
1: Absolutely. Up with a
3: lot. And then I got a job as a dishwasher in a restaurant and stayed there a few months.
1: Um, with your master's, mind you, yeah, from Wesley Theological Seminary in yeah, Washington. Yeah, massively BC.
3: overqualified. Never told a single soul in that kitchen that I had a master's degree. <laughs> I <laughs> was trying to get another one, like a
1: crazy person. And when you think about like that time, obviously, was it, do you feel like it was a bit of a cocooning? Like, okay, I'm going to go into, cause you said it was four months after, um, you left the youth ministry job that you kind of were like, Oh wait, maybe I'm the thing that I'm not sure I even like. <laughs> was that, I mean, talk a little bit about that process as you're, you're kind of deconstructing everything, including your own gender. Like, Mm-hmm. wow you put everything on the table that's
3: how i tend to do things <laughs> <laughs> <all or> nothing. <laughs> i just go hard at everything i do i so i figured out i was trans i guess it was in march and i quit church in september so it had been a handful of months I accepted it at least it was mostly just one day where i was like this is the truth i gotta accept that And it was because I had room to think about myself, because I had walked away entirely from ministry and from my faith and from all of it, and I just kind of said no more after I quit my church job and started focusing on myself for the first time in my life and what I wanted and like connecting to my own body and then realizing and trying to connect to my own body that something wasn't working in my search for embodiment. Yeah.
1: We're only laughing because it is such a big thing and the reality of like the way you're able to say it, like, yeah, that's yeah, there it is. <laughs> like, at some yeah. point, yeah, turns out I turns out I'm a dude. <laughs> like, yeah. Turns out, turns out, yeah. Because you exude so much joy that to hear, I mean, your story is filled with so much pain in a lot of ways, like a rejection of, like, uh, I think it's maybe you guys can weigh in on this, but it feels worse to me when a community is half welcoming. Half affirming, like mm-hmm. no, you can be here. Just yeah. like parts of you can't, like you know what I mean. I yeah, I, that to me feels. I don't know. I don't it's know like, what that's like. We I don't, don't experience
3: are, that. Yeah, we don't. Our gay youth pastor for don't the hate, optics, yeah. but <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, we like our gay youth pastor for the optics. But the reality of it is, mm-hmm. well, please, like, don't tell people it, or don't talk about. It. Wait, yeah, they you, were okay with the kids you knowing. You're just gay. Gay. gonna talk about. They it. They were
3: like, don't disclose it to the youth. <laughs>
2: That's what they told me. Yeah. So be gay, but quietly like, be- in the corner, but be enthusiastic also. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, be enthusiastic yeah. Enthusiastic about not being gay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's just so much <laughs> hiding that you've done for so long. And I, people may not have the same story as you, but I wish they could see the joy that you feel after you started focusing on yourself and not, we were told forever that focusing on ourselves is you know, the me generation and all that sort of stuff. But the reality is, is like, no one can live a life that feels whole if they haven't been able Mm -hmm. to know themselves. And in various ways, when we are part of something that doesn't allow us to do that work, we we're stunted and we're not able to, like you say, embody ourselves. And so I love that. We, I laugh because it's joyful to know that like, oh, on the other side of that one day when you're like, eh, like th- the, obviously that wasn't, there was so much more to it and it's layered. Yeah. But this, it is sort of a a playful way of saying, and now, now I know myself more. And I think it's been such a surprising journey that you've been on. Have you, when you, you know, think about even the work you want to do in mental health, what is, what is your... Ultimate goal, and if you don't have one, it's okay.
3: (laughs) It's ever changing um, while I'm in the school and in this process of becoming a therapist because that's a lot more growth and transformation that I didn't ask for, (laughs) but I'm experiencing. I, yeah, when I first started this program, I was thinking very solidly like, I'm going to help queer people in the South. I'm going to help Ugh. people who have religious trauma and that's what I'm going to do and that's where I started at. And now I'm more open to it. Part of it's just the process of learning counseling and becoming a counselor is that you need to learn how to talk to anyone. Yeah. I've had one friend call me uh-huh. a people wizard. Just because it's about connecting to people's humanity ultimately. Um and so ideally as a counselor, it would be better for me to find myself in a place where I am able to be a counselor to anybody before Mm -hmm. I kind of narrow down into a specific field. Yeah, And so I somewhat stubbornly opened myself up to that um, because I felt so determined about what I wanted to do and who I wanted to help. And I still am very passionate about that. I think Knoxville and Tennessee and the South in general could benefit from having another trans therapist
1: Absolutely, yeah,
3: <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> and yeah, and I have my own uh, thoughts about that. That would be fast-forwarding in the story.
1: <laughs> That's okay. You're welcome to do so. Yeah. Uh, no, you're fine. <laughs> Go for it.
3: Yeah, well, one thing that has caught my attention, particularly um, studying and becoming a counselor, is grief. I took a class in the fall called Practicum in Grief Support. And what we did for that class, I mean, we learned a lot about grief. Um, We learned about disenfranchised grief, which is just grief that doesn't get acknowledged by society because it may not necessarily be a death loss. Like disenfranchised, some examples could be like the loss of a pet or the loss of a job or just some kind of loss in general that has a deep impact on your life. But society doesn't necessarily stop and tell you it feels bad for you because you lost something.
1: We don't make space for, like I, like divorce. We don't make space for moving. We don't make space for loss at all because it's overwhelming for us to consider that people around us are going through so much and maybe we are as well. I actually... <laughs> I watched this movie and I don't know if I've mentioned it on this show before because it just blew my mind. I went to this like tiny little film festival here in Newport Beach because a friend's friend was in this movie. And this movie was incredible because it was the story of a guy who ends up going to grief counseling and the entire movie, you really are getting like hints back and forth. It's really well written and you think that his girlfriend has died and he is like, You, you know, like his buddies are like, dude, it's like been six months. Like it's time for you to like, you know, get over. And you're like, his friends are kind of jerky. He goes to the doctor to say, like, I'm depressed, like this whole thing. And you're like watching this guy grieve, but then he becomes part of this grief group at a church. It's not a Christian movie, don't worry. Um, but he it's a really lovely story where he's connecting with people about grief and he meets this woman and this beautiful story of her grief. And then there's a moment where you realize the ex-girlfriend isn't dead. She just left him. And he encounters her on the street. And the woman is very angry that he is now dating, who is a widow or widow. Um, And all of a sudden they flash all the things and you realize that, no, everything he's expressing is true of someone who has just lost an important relationship. But we only allow you to feel that when the person has passed. Someone is no longer part of your life is a death. Mm -hmm. When a job Mm -hmm. that has meant your entire identity is gone, it's a death. Figuring out that you're not, like, I've had friends who have gone through transitioning who have said, like, I had to grieve some parts of me that once I stepped into this new gender, I don't connect to anymore. Because there were parts of me that maybe I connect. you know what I mean? There Mm -hmm. is this grief that we don't allow, and it's it's really hard. In fact, I I read a book on grief where the guy said losing a pet can be like my dog is Mm -hmm. my life. And I know he's been really sick in the last year. And that I know that when he is no longer with me, I will experience the grief of losing a family member because Mm -hmm. he is my family member. Dude, he was the only one I was talking to during COVID. (laughs) We're the only people hanging out. He knows more about me than anyone. Yeah. So I appreciate you saying that, that grief is Surprising that we don't make space for that. And did you see yourself in that class all of a sudden?
3: I did. That was kind of when I put the pieces together that what I had been experiencing for the last year since quitting my church job. And the reason why I hadn't been able to function well or like keep a random job was because of grief just taking over my life. It, what have
1: been your I'm, practices to move through it? Yeah. Sorry, Justin, I didn't mean to interrupt.
2: Oh, you're fine. I. I yeah, grief is a tricky one I think and I don't know it's it's a societal thing it's a it's a being socialized as a man thing but it's like yeah it's like it's the last thing I think about when I'm struggling mm-hmm. like I'm like oh maybe I'm gonna I'm not sleeping right maybe it's anxiety like what like oh whatever whatever and it's all of a sudden it's, it's the last I mean, of course whatever it is, is is the last thing you think about I know that like you know, like, but it's just like, it's, it's, I, I take through a long list of things before I'm like, I'm grieving. That's what this is. Sure. Like, that's what makes the most sense here. And yeah, cause grieving is not good for capital. Like it's not good for your boss. It's not good for the people that you make money for. Like. You know, and so of course we don't make space for it, but it's, yeah, it's just, it's interesting that it is, it's, it's the last thing you look for, but for the, I think for a lot of us that have deconstructed or left ministry, like you're, you're definitely grieving, like whether you admit it or not, or whether you see it or not, and it's, and it's impacting everything. And I think once I was able to tap into that, I feel like I yeah, I was able to heal a lot better, quicker or at least experience progress in healing but um it took me a long time to even admit that i was grieving
1: yeah if you don't know if you it it doesn't go way worse i remember a counselor one time telling me that i take everything and i just push it under the water and she, the, he used the example of like a i mean i'm sure this is this thing they teach you in school but like putting the the uh like a beach ball under the water you know, and you just start pressing it down, pressing it down, pressing it down, and it's just one gig you to shoot up. You can't get rid of the beach ball until you address the beach ball. And mm-hmm. I was
2: like,
1: I'm not ready. But I think, yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm gonna I I'm gonna grief, beat this beach ball.
1: Yeah, I can push this beach ball under my foot. Thank you. I am a Enneagram three and everything is fine. <laughs> but that's grief is something that I I had a conversation last week with someone who actually we're gonna have on the show soon who is a pastor and he was a pastor. He was actually my friend that left first. And he asked me, what are you doing with your grief? And I was like, Oh, uh, because <laughs> he he's like, I have so much grief, Sarah, I have so much grief. So yeah, like if you don't mind talking a little bit about after making that realization, sort of how did you tap into that? And what, cause I think people will definitely relate to that.
3: I, more than anything, I felt validated and comforted by that because more context, I had also been in like a a two and a half year romantic relationship, and she had ended up kind of breaking up with me around the time, like five days after I came out to her as trans, and she said it wasn't because I was trans, but the timing felt uh a little too <laughs> odd for it to not be about that yeah uh Could you have waited or maybe at least it was one just like week? a final straw or something I don't know, but I think. I experienced a lot of shame in that relationship because I wasn't functioning well, like, because I didn't have a job and wasn't necessarily providing for myself or being able to pay my bills all the time. And so I just felt bad because the whole time we were dating, she was employed full time and had one job. And so me not having that and us, like, thinking about the next steps in our relationship, like, if I was going to move in with her or something... Um, I would need to be able to contribute. And I wasn't doing that because I didn't have a job. And so I just spent a lot of time feeling really shitty about myself. And so being able to name what I was going through as grief and realize like I was just being a human person grieving. And of course, it's hard to function when that's happened. I mostly just, I felt
1: really comforted realizing that. Yeah, to name it. I think I, I can absolutely relate. I was in a relationship last year and it was the first like, Pretty serious feeling relationship that I had since like leaving ministry and and I was doing well in a lot of people's standards. I was coaching folks and it was going well, but I wasn't making the amount of money I used to make, and I I the, I didn't have a rhythm, you know. And uh, I oftentimes, you know, even we talked months after we broke up. I told him I just wasn't me, and I feel like you got a weird version of me, and I don't know that I'm me. But I, I just can absolutely relate to like, I don't know, I'm not functioning at a level that I want to, I have to keep going, because that's part of life. But yeah, what am I bringing to this? I, I remember mm-hmm. asking him, like, what do I bring to this? He's like, I don't, you're just, you're my girlfriend. <laughs> like, I, I but I didn't feel good about myself. Like, literally, he looked like he was great at just letting me go I went on and on I literally was laying on his bed like I don't even know why you're with me and he was just like uh where did this come from but he was very great at just sitting down and being like okay and I went on and on and on and he broke up with me like a week later, guys. So maybe I was convincing him and didn't realize that I was like, here's all the things that you are like, you're, you have your own house. And like, I own a house that I rent out. But like, I was like, you own your own house. You can do anything. You make so much money. Your car is beautiful. Your life is beautiful. Like just on and on and on. Um, I was like, what do I bring? He's like, you're my girlfriend and I like you. I don't know. He's like, I don't know what to say. And I was like, okay. But it's true. It's like, When you're in that space, how do you be your best self? Like You can pretend, and that's even worse. It's almost like, yeah, I don't know how to move past it in some ways because you can't force yourself to. I hate that time is important, guys. I hate that you actually have to give it time and space. That's dumb.
3: Yeah, you have to let it unfold in its own time, and capitalism doesn't really allow for that. No. So,
1: yeah. So after you go through the grief that you did talk about, you just like hit it all up. Didn't you, you just like, look, I'm going to bang out some fairly life traumatic things all within three years and just see how that goes. Yeah.
3: I, yeah, I would hope that I've done by now, but who knows? Uh, who knows? Like, I don't know. I, I started my like physical, like I started my transition medically. Um, I have, pretty much the same time I started this grad program. Um, And so like I started taking testosterone like the first semester that I was taking classes for this career. And so I've just been growing and changing and it's been a lot and I've been experiencing a lot. It's vulnerable. It's embarrassing at times. And Mm -hmm. I, I often wish I could hide in a cocoon for, about two years and then re in society is majestic beast of a man but instead <laughs> i have to keep existing and doing stuff and being seen by people <laughs> and so i've just kind of gotten used to the discomfort for this That's a metaphor
1: year. for grief isn't it i mean mm-hmm. you're you're literally embodying it like
3: mm-hmm.
1: changing and wanting to emerge as this like i got it all together, the friends like yeah and that yeah usually it's, it's just more embarrassment that,
3: <laughs> yeah whatever that like puddle of goo is that's inside a caterpillar cocoon yeah i feel like i am that goo blob but i'm just walking around trying to be a person
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> except
3: like, you're so a lot full of, of time you're
1: so full of joy
2: can you imagine though a society of caterpillar or like caterpillars or butterflies living under capitalism? Like they would make the goo go to work. Like, sorry, <laughs> you're in a cocoon, cocoon but leave. we've, <laughs> yeah, you don't get cocoon leave. Like you, you've got to, you've got you've to gotta keep working uh, and you don't get a benefit when you're a butterfly. No, no, you get back to work. Like, yeah, I, what, that sounds like a nightmare, but that's also, t- t- it feels very true. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it does. Like, and I obviously we have not experienced what you have experienced. And, but a lot of what you're saying is so relatable of just feeling like I'm a, I'm, I'm kind of goo right now. Um, and I often, you know, I, I I have such good friends. They put up with Justin, puts up with me all the time because I'll just be like, what am I anymore? Who am I anymore? But I can tell everybody I coach like I see this in you, I see that in you, but I can't in myself, right? My god, I'm a life and you know, leadership coach and yet I'm often most days being like put on your pretend Sarah and go out in the world. <laughs> um and I think so often it's the people who love you who are like you're not goo, but I get why you feel like goo and it's okay to be gooey for a while, and i uh-huh. you know, my friends often will just have to put up with my of my moments of not feeling great, and I had one friend say, I kind of love this because you feel more real than you ever have before. You were always trying to perform to someone else's expectations, whether it was the church or you were always guilty wherever you were, you wish you were somewhere else because you felt like you needed to be there, right? <laughs> Taking time for myself felt like. Like if I was on vacation, I'd be like, I should not be on vacation. And I have several clients right now that are pastors and they'll talk about time off as if, you know, and I think we have to like overcome this. We have to ungoo ourselves. And it is, it's such a painful process of getting used to not feeling guilty all the time. It's like, it's like a limb that's gone, (laughs) but we still feel it every now and then, like (laughs) residual guilt for doing something like, I'll be really happy like I yesterday, I went hiking and I was out of contact all day. You couldn't get in touch with me, and I had I was like I feel weird. And I what I realized is I felt guilty that people couldn't get in touch with me. And I was like that isn't true of my life right now. Why? But it is. It's like that thing in the back. Well, friends, I'm really excited to see what what butterfly comes out. The majestic man that you are. Is there? <laughs> Is there anything Mm -hmm. before we close up? And thank you so much for this time that you would share kind of with people who feel like goo.
3: (laughs) And not just that.
1: Yeah, I would love to hear anything that you would be willing to offer for folks who feel a little bit like it. And even if it's just like, dude, we're goo, it's good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I
3: would say a a phrase that came to mind around the time I was leaving my church job uh, and something I continued telling myself since is stop sacrificing yourself on the altar of other people's growth i just get goosebumps Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) yeah
1: yeah stop sacrificing yourself on the altar of other people's growth wow that was really good good. (laughs) thank you we're just gonna stop there. so much for this yeah this conversation has been an absolute delight and I am really grateful that you are willing to come on. I am, I cannot express that enough because I know that the story can be painful. And so, yeah, we want to honor that. We want to honor that your story is also one that is difficult for people uh, to understand. And yet you're willing to um, share with folks and with the kind of making space again for uh, people to have an opportunity to know the new you, and which is just you. Um, (laughs) And what a joy it has been for us to get to know you a little bit more. So thank you so much, friends, for listening to another episode. Stick around for the poem at the end. And we're really grateful for you too. If you want to meet rad people, guys, our Discord, that's where it's at. In fact, there's going to start a monthly Zoom meeting we're calling it a meeting it's not a meeting it's more of a gathering to talk about things like vocation whatever it might be um so we're going to start a monthly one of those and that was completely started by the members of our discord so that's how great these people are so if you want to be part of that please join our patreon it not only helps the show but it makes um excellent community so thanks for joining us
2: Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you are enjoying the conversations you hear on Rev Covery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in the Rev Covery Room on Discord. To access our Discord, please join our Patreon to become part of the Rev Covery Room community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and this helps us produce the show as well as gives you access to the community resources. Check it out at www.patreon.com slash Rev Covery. We know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are lots of ways to support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Room is our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handle, so you can find us there to keep the conversation going. Now on to some final thoughts and this week's poem.
1: I don't know about you, but I have to say that Kai's story just over and over again was a reminder that sometimes all we have to do is just keep moving forward. I love this idea that he made the kind of space that he needed for others first and then was able to step into it. So today I would like to uh, share a quote from Mary Ann, and I believe the last name is Radmacher. And I found this quote a long time ago and I put it like in my uh, notebook of quotes. And today it just seems like a good reminder because I think Kai is incredibly courageous. Courage does not always roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. Friends, I hope that you found this episode as helpful as I did. I am so grateful for all of our listeners, and I am really grateful for those who uh, joined together on the Discord channel. We are starting a a new thing where we're going to be doing Zoom calls. Um, It just continues to grow, and I am indeed just so delighted to be part of it. So again, have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you again here in the Rough Room.